Good morning. So before I start, how many of you are attending this event for the first time? Oh wow, quite a few. <clears throat> so my name is Gulshan. Uh, I'm Gulshan Karbanda, practice manager here in Seattle, helping our customers in their journey to cloud. Cloud is new normal today. Everybody is now convinced that cloud is the way to go. We have seen enterprises of every size migrating to cloud, and reasons for adoption to cloud could be different for different organizations, but definitely all of the enterprises are really getting benefited from these uh, different attributes of cloud, like agility. It really brings that business agility uh, second is innovation. Now, enterprises can experiment more often and then uh, quickly to decide whether the experiment is going to help their business or not. Then, going global in minutes. And then, one of the attributes is cost. It really helps you to save cost by moving onto cloud. So, once you move onto the cloud, then there are different ways you can then further save on your cost. And then, once you have that optimized environment, uh, that can really bring a cost-aware culture. And that's what we'll be talking about today. Our focus is more on cost optimization as you scale on AWS. So I also have Abiyade. She's going to co-present with me. She's from Expedia. And she'll be talking about Expedia's journey uh, towards this cost optimization. So let's get started. Now, in cloud, Cost, if you look at the resources, uh, resources no longer have fixed cost. It's pay per use. But today, I'm going to talk about instead of pay per use, how do we get to pay what you really need? Because when you get into the cloud, if you really don't have that cost governance around it, then the cost can spiral out of control very quickly. And it is very, very important for enterprises who have already gotten into the cloud and now scaling but also enterprises who are starting on the cloud because these learnings have come in last 11 years based on our experience with the customer and we have come up with these best practices to really start on a good uh, foot. So a lot of times, uh, as you see in the cloud, the resources that we provision, a lot of customers I've seen do not really measure and monitor uh, the utilization of those resources. Because initially, when application uh, developer comes to uh, the IT department for based on their requirements, those resources are provisioned. But after that, there's a very few customers I've seen who have gone to the level to really measure, learn from the system itself to see what would be the right size of those resources and how do we really get to a most cost-effective architecture. And that's what we'll be talking about, some of those tips and tricks to really implement this cost optimization to get to what we really need and then pay for what we need. So what is the example here, GE, oil and gas? GE, oil and gas was able to reduce their total cost of ownership by 52%. How did they do that? Their environment was virtually, uh, if you look at all of the, the servers and storage, was virtualized and heavily virtualized. So in terms of efficiencies in their on-premises, there's nothing that they were really missing. But after moving into the cloud, they started using some of the tools that AWS provides and then able to bring some level of automation to further save that cost. And that's how they were able to reduce the total cost of ownership by 52%. So they saved about $15 million just by implementing these, some of the tips and tricks that we'll be talking about today. How do we get there? So I'll be talking about all the best practices to get to that cost optimization, different pillars, different levers that we can utilize. And then culture of cost awareness or cost of accountability. So a lot of times these application team, when you work with them, cost is at times either missed or maybe is the last priority. They really look at performance, security, reliability, which of course is very, very critical. And with cloud today, you have multiple ways to architect the same solution uh, 
once you have the cost factored in and you start asking some of those questions to application team, then they really start looking at their architecture to use the serverless or they really start now uh, looking at the architecture in a different way. So that's where the culture of cost accountability is very, very important. And that's what ABRD will also be talking about that. And then in the end of this presentation, we'll have a success story from Expedia that ABRD will be walking you through the journey. So we start with this cloud optimization. <clears throat> so there are five pillars of cost optimization that we have come uh, to this five pillars after helping uh, hundreds of enterprise customers to get them to most cost effective uh, cloud migration. The first one is right sizing your instances. So once you move on to the cloud, as I earlier said, the resources that are provisioned, we really don't measure. Once you start measuring it, so we have a cloud watch service that can give you a lot of data around utilization. So once you have that data, then you can really see what actually is the need for those workloads, and then accordingly you can right size it. And we'll be talking about in detail how do you really get to that right sizing at what level of savings we can see that. Elasticity. That's really a very powerful attribute of the cloud because it helps you to scale up or scale down based on the need of the application workload. Once you have the right size and you have built that elasticity into your architecture, then picking the right pricing model. AWS has different pricing model helping different customers to fit in their business model. For example, on demand, we have reserved instances, spot instances, and so forth. So what would be the right pricing model that you need to pick in order to be more cost effective for your uh, application workloads? And then leveraging the right storage type as well as the right services. Because now, as you must have heard, that serverless is really becoming uh, very popular because there are so many different services that you have in cloud. And because of these different choices, your architecture can leverage innovation with cost combined together to be more cost-effective and innovative solution. So once we have all these four attributes of cloud and then bring some level of automation, measure and monitor uh, these uh, continuous improvement towards this cost-effective environment, that's where you have these five pillars helping you to be more cost-optimized. So pillar one, right-sizing. So how do you really start with that? So <clears throat> you always start with the smallest instance that is going to meet your application requirement. Once you have that, you start measuring the utilization and monitoring it. After getting that utilization, whether it is the compute or memory, depending on what application workload you're running, now you can really start looking at one of the right instance type because we have over 60 different instance types. And it is very difficult to guess it first time and then pick the right instance. So you always go with your you know, prediction and then once you start learning, then you have to tweak that size so that you can, you can really save cost over that. So rule of thumb. So first, always try to right size it before you reserve the instance. And then reserve instances we'll talk about as part of the pricing options. Uh, but in some cases, I've seen enterprises actually going for reserved instances before getting into the right size because the savings are huge and they know that it's gonna take a while in their organization to get to the right size. So you don't want to lose those savings as well. But generally, uh, the best practice is to really right size it once you learn the utilization and then go for the purchasing option that really fits into your business model. So this is an example, this is a real example that I've uh, helped with one of the customer to make it more cost effective. So in this example, let's uh, look at the, the before stage here. So in this case, customer is running C3X large, which has four CPU uh, and then seven and a half gig RAM with 80 SSD uh, drive. Once you have that CloudWatch that is monitoring the utilization, 
we were able to see that the only 35% of the compute was utilized. Now, as you know that memory is something which is a custom matrix, so they were not really monitoring matrix, so we could not factor the memory utilization here, so we went by the compute utilization. So once we have this data, what we did is basically we brought that size to M4 large. If you look at the M4 large, 35% of 4 CPU is around 1.4, which is like less than 2 CPU that is required to run this workload. And then we basically are able to get an instance that has 2 vCPUs with the same memory, which is 8 gig, uh, in fact, a little over 7.5 that they were running before, and they were able to get 33% of savings just by looking at the CloudWatch utilization metric and then fitting into the right instance that can still uh, handle that workload. Pillar two, elasticity. So how do you increase elasticity? So one, if you have a dev and test environment that is not required to run 24 hours, then you can really turn them off, uh, all the non-production instances that are not required, and then turn it on next morning, right? So you can have, based on your developer uh, work hours, whether it is eight to six or seven to five, you can really get that automation to turn it on or turn it off. And that can have a huge saving, because if you look at it, instead of running 24 hours, now you're only running for eight or 10 or 12 hours. That itself brings over 50% of savings. You don't really have to manually start and stop. What you could do is you could really use CloudWatch alerts to trigger a Lambda function that can really take care of that, switching it on or off based on that schedule. Then auto scaling. So for the production workloads where you know that you do have these spiky workloads that at times may need to be adjusted to really meet the user's demand. So there you start using auto scaling where it can scale based on the user demand. For example, if let's say CloudWatch metrics is giving an alert saying that CPU utilization is now over 80%, now I can increase my number of instances because I know that at some point I would be needing more. As at it really goes down, then I can really scale it down. For example, if let's say I have a threshold set at 50%, the moment I see compute, utilization going down before below 50%, uh, then I can scale it down uh, by number of instances that can really fit into that uh, workload. So let's look at an example here. So in traditional way, let's say if I need two servers to handle the peak capacity, right? So in traditional way, you always have to have two servers running 24 hours. And this, if you see at the bottom, it's like 24 hours, and then we have a server load. But initially in the morning, the pattern that we see through this uh, uh, utilization is that until eight o'clock, we actually only need one server that can handle this workload. But then from eight o'clock until four o'clock, then I have this peak that is coming in and I would need two server to handle this peak. And after four o'clock, as the day really ends, then again, it goes back to one instance that can handle the workload. Now, just implementing that order scaling here, you can clearly see that one third of the savings are accomplished here. So this is where the auto scaling really helps you to increase or maybe you know scale up or scale down based on the utilization. And CloudWatch is very, very powerful tool to really help you to enable that uh, scaling. Pillar three, leveraging the right pricing model. Uh, as I said, that we do have different pricing options to really help our customers to pick what really fits into their business model. So the first one is on-demand instances, which is pay as you go. So it's a flat hourly rate and no upfront commitment because it is on-demand. This pricing option is really apt for short-term, spiky, or unpredictable workloads. If you really don't know that what that uh, workload, uh, you know, uh, the, the capacity that you re really need, you can start with on-demand, start learning about it, and once you really have that knowledge through that utilization, then you can really go for reserved instances. 
So initially start with on demand, learn, let the system learn uh, the actual need that is required, and then you can really go for uh, reserved instances, which is our next option here. So reserved instances is, it helps you to reserve your capacity and also gives you huge savings. So there are different terms. If you go for one year, then you have a different savings. If you go for three years, then you have a different discounts. So you can really save up to 72% just by reserving those capacity. Now this is very, uh, so when you have workloads which are steady and you know that those production workloads have to be running 24 seven, this option is very, very, very cost effective because now you could save up to 70% or at times 80% by using this reserved instance. Spot instances. Now this uh, is very, very cost effective. It actually gives you up to 90% of savings. Uh, for example, if you have a 10 cents per hour uh, for an instance, and if you go for spot instances, that's like one cent, right? If you're running 10,000 cores, you actually are talking about just $100 a day, right? So, but this is only applicable for workload that can handle interruption. The way spot instances work is that there is a bid price that you put in, and then there is a spot price. So as long as your bid price is below that spot price, you will not get interruption. And your workload can really leverage at low cost. But the moment the spot price goes above that bid price that you have put in, then you get two minutes notification, and within two minutes your application really has to be either moved or otherwise it will be just shut down. So the workload that really can handle interruption are best for spot instances. Or sometimes you have some of these EMR jobs that are running and you really need a lot of compute capacity and you can really leverage the spot instances because you know that you can always have a flexible start time and end times. So spot instances again for certain workloads, you can really have a huge saving uh, by using spot instances. So reserved instances, if you go with one year uh, commitment, that gives you that uh, comfort of reserving the capacity, but also the payback period is about seven to eight months. And that's where I was talking about that if you think that you are not able to get that right sizing in like eight, nine months or one year, then it would be advisable to go with reserved instances because you anyway would get a payback, right? But if you can get in two, three months, then please try to right size that first before you go for reserved instances. For three years, the payback period is about 12 to 18 months. So reserved instances, one is EC2, but you also have now reserved capacity for other services as well, like RDS, Redshift. Now in DynamoDB, you can also have a reserved capacity for IOPS, which again gives you huge savings. You have a pool of those IOPS, and then your application teams can really use out of that pool, and again, you get huge savings there. So RI coverage. As we talked about that, all the steady workload and the one that really runs 24-7, you want to make sure that they are all covered by RIs to really get the most benefit out of these reserved instances. So the RI coverage is one of the metrics that you can really see that how many am I really covering through these RIs, right? So ideal is like about 90% of RI utilization has to be covered. 10% uh, you can still have that in the pool, uh, but generally 90% is, is a good ratio there to have that coverage. Increasing that RI utilization, the first thing you really need to know uh, or understand that architecture that can really leverage these uh, reserved instances because one is we have a standard reserved instance as well as convertible. If you think that your architecture is evolving and you may actually change instance types or instance families, then you can choose convertible uh, reserved instance because now you have the flexibility to move to different operating systems, to different uh, uh, instance families and so forth. <coughs> So this is an example now. When we try to put this elasticity and reserved instance together, what would be the impact on the cost? So let's start with this. So initially when we have this on demand, this is again a, a real example from one of the customers that we helped. 0 0.07, which is seven cents per hour was per core 
cost per unit basically. And after implementing that elasticity or right sizing together, we were able to reduce that cost from 7 cent to 2 cents per hour per core, right? So once you have that, then we go for reserved instance. When we went with reserved instance here, we were able to get 50% of savings and then reduce that cost to 1 cents per core per hour, right? So look at from 7 cents getting to 1 cent, just going through this method which includes right sizing, elasticity, and then finally your purchasing decision which is reserved instance. So you could see there's a huge saving, you can really get up to 80% at times uh, savings by just implementing these three methods. The spot, we just talked about that, it brings incredible savings. Uh, this is applicable for applications that are fault tolerant, that can really handle that interruption, uh, that can uh, again have flexible start times and end times and so forth. So how do you strike a balance? Let's say if I have, a, in my environment, I'm running 10,000 instances, so how do you strike a balance that how many should really fit into reserved instances? how many should be on demand and how many should be really in spot. So ideal way here is to really look at it, uh, the ratio, sorry, is about, again, 70 to 80% make sure that you have your reserved instances covered and remaining 20% you could again have on demand because those spiky that you're not sure, that will help you to learn and again, see if reserved instances would make sense there or not. But at least 80-20 is the best ratio here. You can go with 80% of reserved and 20% on demand and spot. Pillar four, which is picking the right services. Like for example, when you look at S3, uh, simple storage system, you have different storage options there, right? So based on your data and data classification, you can pick different storage types that can again bring a huge cost savings, right? For example, infrequent access data, then you can really use infrequent access S3, uh, which has uh, lower SLA, but at the same time, you really have uh, cost benefit there. Uh, you can then use Glacier to archive your data if you have a huge volume that you really don't access, that's very rarely accessed, and then you can really wait two, three hours to get the data back, then you can really use Glacier there. We also have many other services, and uh, in the interest of time, I cannot go to each of those services, but I'll give you an example here, uh, Lambda, for example, right? So getting to the serverless, Lambda is really bringing a lot of that automation into these uh, uh, different applications with a very low cost. So one, there's no server to manage because you bring your code and then you just run that code, right? You don't have to maintain and manage those servers and you don't really need to worry about the scaling here because it's all handled by AWS, right? Uh, and then you never pay for idle because when you have these EC2 instances, you actually have to manage idle time, you have to manage underutilized resources, but in case of Lambda, that worry is not uh, with you, that's something that AWS really manages because you only pay for the duration of the code that you run, which is like per 100 milliseconds and everything else is taken care of by AWS. So no need to worry about idle resources, no need to worry about right sizing, no need to worry about underutilized resources. And these are some of the powerful services that you can really utilize to have, again, a very cost-effective uh, architecture. Now this is an example that I really show you here, the, the cost benefit you could see, again, a real example here. So a lot of uh, uh, scheduled jobs that I've seen customers use EC2 to run, right? So instead of using those, some of the bad jobs can really be converted through Lambda, right? So you really don't need to run that EC2 instance to run those scheduled jobs because now, based on any alerting trigger, can fire that Lambda script and then it can just run. If it runs for 200 millisecond, you only pay for 200 millisecond and then you're just done with it, right? So here in this example, as you see, the bad job that is running on EC2 is like eight and a half cents per hour. Once we change that to Lambda, the cost was just two cents, right? So here again, we're talking about 60, 70, 80% of savings, just by making a small tweaking to your architecture, right? And then one is the cost, second now, the headache is also gone because you don't need to worry about, again, monitoring that EC2, you don't need to worry about scaling, you really don't need to worry about 
uh, having the utilization metric for that EC2. So a lot of benefit besides the cost itself you get just by using some of these managed services that AWS has. The fifth pillar is bringing that automation together, which is how do you really govern that? How do you bring that governance framework here into your cost containment strategy? And how do you really measure and monitor? Because measure and monitor is very, very critical. If you don't really measure, you will not be able to right size and you will not be able to make the right decision for purchasing options. So let's talk about some of the tools uh, to really have that governance come into play. So now, for example, uh, if your development uh, team, you really want to restrict some of the services or maybe some of the instance size, you don't want them to really spin the large instance size because that's really very, very, uh, you know, it can really add to your cost. So you can start using some of these services to start defining those rules and creating that boundary for your development resources to say what services are you really, can you really use, right? So service catalog, for example, you can have different patterns bringing into that service catalog and then let your application team use those patterns which has all these best practices built in. IAM and roles to really have those permissions and then you know, make sure that some of the instances that you allow are only applicable here uh, to be selected. Tagging, tagging is very important. Tagging really allows you to have a very clear transparency by application owner or business unit. You can really bring a lot of automation just by having the right tagging strategy. If you miss tagging, then everything else will really not work because you do not have an insight to your spend. Either you can build your own or there are tools that are available. For example, Gorilla Stack, which is our partner, also has tool that allows you to have that automatic tagging as soon as your uh, resources are provisioned based on the rule that you define. AWS organization. So once you consolidate this multiple account, because I have customer who has like 400 accounts, right? Now, how do you really have that billing, uh, making it easier uh, for, for 400 accounts, right? So one is consolidated, consolidated billing, which you have a payer account, but then also using this AWS organization, because you can really have that organization unit, then you can go up to five level deep, and you can start having that application uh, ownership bringing into that cost uh, or finance uh, element. So measuring and monitoring. Uh, so there are different options. One is AWS provides you a lot of tools to look at the, the billing, which you have, you know, AWS, for example, Cost Explorer. You also have Cost Usage Report. Then you have, uh, uh, you know, billing uh, alerts and notification that based on the budget that you set in. The second is Marketplace. In AWS Marketplace, AWS partners have built a lot of tools to give you that capability where you can really bring these tools to implement uh, chargeback and some, you know, any special need that you have around finance. And third is do it yourself. Build a solution, uh, which I've helped a couple of customers really build it, where it pulls data from CloudWatch, brings into Redshift, or maybe, you know, into Elasticsearch. Then you bring trusted advisor data into that repository, and then also you have uh, some of these learning based on the utilization that you get and start recommending or actionable items that you can really uh, implement to have that cost uh, effective. Trusted Advisor, very powerful tool. So we uh, have saved over $500 million to our customers by alerting uh, you know, some of these inefficiencies that they have in their environment through Trusted Advisor. So Trust Advisor has uh, different pillars. You have security, performance, reliability. Similarly, you also have cost. So as part of that cost optimization, you can clearly see it highlights that low utilization resources. You also have idle resources. So once you see this, you will see uh, a different color. For example, as you see here, uh, where you have green, orange, or red, right? Red, you don't see it here. It's orange, which is a warning, which means that investig investigation is recommended here. So this is where you start looking at the idle resources, right? If you look at here, the compute utilization is even below 1%, right? Somebody just provisioned, maybe forgot to just, you know, spin it down, right? So here, it gives you a very clear idea of like, okay, these are the, uh, you know, resources that I need to investigate and seems like are not required, so I can really, you know, shut them down. So Trust Advisor, again, just very powerful tool. 
then you have these different uh, uh, partner tools that are available. Uh, for example, Cloud Health, Cloud In, uh, Cloud Cruiser, and so forth. If you want to do it yourself, uh, make sure that you have some of the metrics uh, that you're tracking, uh, savings that based on the recommendation you're bringing in, and then uh, have that spent by account based on the tagging that you have really put in place so you can really communicate back to the application teams. Some of the key metrics here, uh, percentage instances turned off daily. So at least you want to make sure that you know dev or uh, a non-prod uh, environment, if you have let's say 20%, what percentage I'm really you know, shutting it off, how many instances uh, really have been right-sized, what percentage of always-on resources that have to run 24-7 are covered by a reserved instance, uh, and then what percentage of reserved instance utilization you have, right? And then you can calculate a unit cost. So unit cost, either it could be a compute unit or it could be a per you know, uh, user, uh, depending on what your business really you know, needs. You can get or define that unit and then calculate that unit cost based on the total cost and then divide by the number of those business metrics or units, right? Whether it is per customer or per you know, employee or per internal user, you can just pick whatever really fits into your business, but now you can calculate per unit cost and start tracking it, right? Based on the recommendations, based on the optimization, is that coming down or not? And then how far it is really coming down? Culture of cost accountability. So here, you have principals and you have agents, right? So how do you bridge the gap between them? And that's where the cloud center of excellence come into play, where this cloud center of excellence is basically going to help bridge that gap. So what questions your cloud center of excellence should be asking? How much of our workloads are steady state? Because it really helps you to decide what purchasing option you need to go with, right? Once you know that if it is a steady state and we know that the utilization based, it is steady, then we can go with reserved instance, right? How are we currently handling our elasticity needs? Are you really, is your architecture able to horizontally scale? And if so, have you factored that based on the peak of the workload? That's where you need to start asking that question. Have we had a well-architected review with AWS? Because in AWS, we have this well-architected framework that looks at all different pillars, which includes reliability, security, performance, as well as cost. So cost is also as part of the well-architected framework. Uh, what's keeping us from reserving capacity? If you're not buying a reserved instance because you're losing the discount, what is the reason? Is there a justifiable reason, right? Uh, it's something that you need to ask. How can I be more involved in our process? Because a lot of this automation has to be integrated to your IT processes. The other part here is make sure that you align with the incentive. You really get quick wins and you start really broadcasting because it really helps to bring that culture which is a cost-aware culture, right? Uh, bring a lot of automation because you want to add a lot of overhead, make sure it is easy for your application developers, and they are really not uh, you know, uh, finding it difficult uh, when you have this service catalog that you're building. Uh, reporting, start really you know, uh, tracking and responding back to the application team where some actions have to be taken, and if they have really taken that action, please praise them saying, hey, this is the saving that because of your actions we were able to get. Uh, and then control and governance that we talked about earlier in the slide, and define those metrics and KPIs at some of the examples that I have given, uh, which is RI coverage, RI utilization, per unit cost, and then start really you know, tracking it. So where do we start? So set up a cloud competency center because that's very important. That's really gonna help to build that automation. Uh, bring the right tools, and these right tools either can be you know, home-built or it could be something that you can leverage from the partners, right, with the automation that we we're talking about. Uh, and then, the metrics that you define that is fitting into your business model, start really, you know, reinforcing that behavior. Uh, and then use partners. Uh, if you think that you really need that help, you can use our AWS partners as well. So with that, I'm going to invite Abiade here. She's going to talk about uh, Expedia journey. Yes. So I'll also have last 10 minutes we have for questions. So if any questions, last 10 minutes we can. Thank you, Dolshan. I'm Abiade, and I'm a finance person. So with a quick show of hands, 
How many people here are CFOs or work with finance people in your organizations? Or will work with finance people in your organizations? Okay, perfect. So, I actually really love my job because I get to work with cool technologists at Expedia. Uh, as Gulshan mentioned, all of us would agree that optimizing costs is a need for any company migrating to the cloud. My hope today is that you can take one of what we did at Expedia and apply it to your organizations. Expedia is one of the largest online travel companies with the number of booking sites and amount of bookings that Expedia manages. We have about 200 plus travel booking sites in over 75 countries today, $83.8 billion in gross bookings, and 289 million room nights sold annually. That's the power of global presence. You have most likely used Expedia, I can guarantee that. Expedia features some of the world's leading online travel brands that you have most likely used or some of your family members have used. So why is cost important? We have a global company that has a lot of leading travel brands. Why is cost very important to Expedia? Expedia is on a cloud migration journey right now, and the success of our cloud journey depends on being cost efficient, uh, so costs do matter at every point. On the screen here, uh, we have our finance mission with the finance team at Expedia, and the mission is really to empower Expedia Incorporation's travel revolution through financial intelligence and operational excellence. And because the cloud journey is a key part of what Expedia is doing right now, we also have a similar mission for the cloud efforts that we're doing. And I happen to lead that effort at Expedia. Our mission for that is really very simple. We want to be able to drive efficient, effective and then efficient use of cloud-related resources while ensuring that we can properly forecast, account, report, and make financially intelligent decisions that are aligned across all the multiple brands that I showed you earlier. So today, let me tell you the story of the cloud and the money ship. This story is to share the lessons we learned as a company and how we adopted certain practices to manage our cloud spend as predictably and efficiently as possible. This is a chart. It is not a pretty chart. For those of you that are CFOs or work with finance people, towards the middle, around the middle of last year in 2016, uh, we realized that we were on a trajectory to overspend our cloud forecast by about 40%. Now, that is not a pretty number that any CFO or any CEO wants to see or hear, or even a business leader, a business tech leader. But today, my story is how we were able to take this picture quickly and turn it into this picture. That is success. And that's what I'm going to share to you, with you today, how we were able to turn things around. So, how did we actually turn around this money ship? The first thing is acknowledging that we had a problem. And the problem was at the rate that we were spending related to cloud costs, we would exceed our annual forecast by a staggering sum. So a few of us, myself and a few other technologists uh, at Expedia, we huddled into a war room for a few weeks and we started dissecting and trying to find the root cause of why we were on, on overspending. And we knew we had three constraints. The first one is, we needed to act quickly. We also had limited time to effect any kind of change. And very importantly, we did not want to restrict innovation for our tech DevOps teams. We did not want them to feel like they couldn't be innovative. But at the same time, we needed to turn around this ship. So if there is one thing you take out of this story, it is the power of the partnerships. Managing cloud spend efficiently depends on a close partnership between tech leads and finance teams, as well as AWS uh, partners as well. We are a very small team at Expedia, but an excellent team 
that collaborated over months to learn what to measure and then fine tune that process. We now have a better understanding of the interplay between cloud and finance and we're able to ask better questions to stay ahead. Prior to this partnership, we took cloud as just an automation and DevOps activity and finance was just a necessary detail. We rarely sat together to compare notes, but that is no longer the case. So, the first thing we did was we actually started out wrong because it was all new to us, it was a surprise. Our prior attempt at taming costs involved optimization. As we have a number of teams in multiple lo locations, because we're a global company using the cloud, we forked a small temporary team to look at all the applications to minimize waste and to optimize as best as possible. This approach actually didn't work quite well. The result of this approach only lasted just about a month. It just did not support our goal because we knew the longer term solution was to have cost awareness become part of our DevOps culture. Not just a small number of people just optimizing without the broader community, community being a, a part of it. So we pivoted from cost optimization to cost transparency. The first thing around cost transparency, Goshen mentioned this, is we focused on enabling um, a cost transparency so that each team could find how much of their applications cost in the cloud and then take the necessary steps to optimize. So the first thing we did was to make sure that we enabled automation. Tagging is very important. If you don't have the right tagging, Goshen said this very well, you do not have visibility into what your teams are spending. You do not know what applications they're spending on. So we fixed our automation to tag all the taggable resources, cloud resources that we had. And then we also built automation to automatically remove untagged resources within minutes. We also leveraged different tools for cost awareness and transparency. Each team now has awareness by using this monitoring, reporting, and visualization tools to develop new insights on potential cost efficiencies. So Cloud Health, we leverage a lot. It's an AWS partner. We also have our DIY, which is a do-it-yourself do in-house tool that we're building. We label that the Cloud Portfolio Analyzer. And then we also leverage a lot of the multiple AWS options like Trusted Advisor uh, and Cost Explorer. So in order to uh, measure success, we also defined and established uh, metrics to be able to track progress. And some of them are really around looking at the percentages of RI utilization, uh, how many of our RIs, RIs are covered, uh, number of unallocated resources due to missing tags. Uh, and, and this was really just to spot, to spot trends early. So we looked at this key cost-related metrics weekly and monthly. This process allows us to take corrective measures uh, sooner than later. We looked at costs of different types of resources, such as compute, storage, as well as things like shared services. As a result, cost transparency at Expedia uh, is that cost awareness has become a part of our DevOps culture. Most of our teams now routinely monitor their costs and take steps to optimize. We also actually have an active internal tech blog where the teams occasionally share and debate different optimization patterns and trade-offs. This is success. So now we've talked about cost transparency. Now, how do we optimize? We know what we're spending on. All the teams are aware. So how do we then optimize? What did we do? So Goshan mentioned five pillars of cost optimization, one of them being leveraging the right pricing model. Reserve instances pricing model is a key part of our strategy. Uh, the process around reserve instances is really making sure that we're covering the always on resources 
with standard partial upfront one-year RIs and leveraging regional benefits. There are different facets of that, but that's the one that we chose based on the types of workloads and architecture that we had in place. We also went from buying RIs on a biannual basis, we went to a monthly basis, and then we went to a weekly basis. Now, this process involves analysis, obtaining recommendations from multiple sources and tools, validating those recommendations, and then procuring those RIs. So it was a partnership. It wasn't just one team sitting down and just making purchases. We had to really go through a process to make sure that we we're buying the right thing. And we were able to leverage those RIs for EC2s, RDS, Redshift, and Elastic Cash. We take the measure, monitor, and improve approach. We do a lot of gap analysis that tells how closely we aligned our system utilization to our requirements. As a result of this strategy, we were able to find the right balance between pricing options while simultaneously increasing RI utilization rate. On the left graph right there, you can see we went from about 41% RI coverage to 79% in about 12 months or so. Goshan mentioned the, the optimal being between 70 to 80%. That is success. So we didn't just only increase our coverage rate. You can see our utilization rate stayed pretty much within the 90s. So minimal waste, very minimal waste. We started off around 97% and then ended up at that time around 94%, which is still pretty high from an industry standard. So we save a lot of money, we, waste, we, we, we have zero to very minimal wastage. That's success. With our RI strategy, we reduced our instance unit cost by hourly unit cost by 22%, and our compute savings grew five-fold, even though our usage grew about 250% within a 12-month time frame. I'll let that sink in a little bit. I'm a finance person. We like numbers and metrics. So, <laughs> cool. So, putting this all together, here are the steps that allowed each team to find out how much their applications cost on the cloud and then optimize accordingly. The first one, tagging automation. The second one, having the right visualization and monitoring tools. One size doesn't fit all. You, can you might have to use different tools, different uh, partners to get that visibility. And then measure, measure, and measure again. We also leverage RI pricing to get a lot of discount and savings. And then the other thing that I haven't mentioned is we decentralize our forecasting and planning process. This is really where we plan for the next cycle, the next year, as a company, every company plans from a budget standpoint, from a money standpoint. So instead of it just sitting with finance, just running numbers, we sit with the technology teams to really understand what the migration journey is going to look like, how is your architecture going to change, and how do we plan for that. And then the last thing here is we also encourage the teams to share optimization best practices amongst themselves. So a very self-sustaining model. Twelve months later, here are the key results of all those practices. Cost awareness became part of our DevOps culture. Till today, we maintain over 90% tagging of all our taggable resources due to the automation practice that we put in place. We increased our RI coverage from 40% to 70%, like I showed you in the, in the two graphs earlier, with utilization rate of over 90%, that is pretty high. Increased savings by five-fold, and our cloud cost forecast accuracy is very high. I'm talking within a range of about 5% to 6 or 7%. That's pretty high. So what's next for Expedia? Expedia is still a young company. We, we just started our journey, so this is not the end of our journey. We still have a lot going on. 
as we scale in AWS, as we scale and continue to migrate to the cloud, we're definitely going to continue the partnership. I mentioned earlier, if there's one thing you take out of my presentation today, is go back to your teams and form a strong partnership. You will be successful. I promise you that. The next thing is building out our DIY uh, cost transparency tool that I mentioned earlier. This is just to allow our teams to have more detailed visibility into the types of applications that they're deploying. Also, we will start leveraging fully all the optimization pillars for all the different cloud costs that we have. We've mostly focused on compute costs, but there is storage costs, there is data, data transfer, there's so many costs that I see on the bill on a monthly basis, and I'm wondering, what is this? So we still have to, a lot of work to do there in terms of optimizing. And then the other thing is around onboarding more teams in our company into the forecasting process. We have a lot of brands, we have a lot of teams within Expedia, and we want to make sure that we cover all the teams uh, that are migrating to the cloud. Last but not the least is we want to be able to tell the full end-to-end -end cloud migration story. We're still running data centers right now. We just started our cloud journey, but at some point we know that that's going to go away and this is going to stay. We need to be able to tell what that full end-to-end -end story looks like from a CapEx, from an OPEX, uh, operating expenses standpoint as well. So here are the lessons learned uh, from optimizing our AWS bill. So hopefully you can take some of this today. Uh, here is a quick recap of some of the key lessons that we learned. The main one being relevant stakeholders, uh, having them within your business. They need to be involved in cost discussions at all stages of your cloud journey. At Expedia, we're not done yet, and we're bound to learn more lessons as we continue our cloud adoption. So here are some of the lessons right there. Uh, finding the right balance, we talked about that. Uh, very important as well, we did not have to standardize and constrain workloads. Developers hate that. They don't like that. I work with them a lot. So we wanted to make sure they had the right freedom to pick the right instances for what they were doing. Uh, we also made sure that cl cloud cost optimization is a discipline to be practiced, not just before migration, but after migration as well. And yep. that's it for me. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Abed. So awesome success story, right? getting up to 80% of RI coverage, and then having over 90% of utilization. If you look at it, you know, uh, uh, this is a great success story because you can clearly see it's all things that we talked about, just bringing into a method, and then getting into practice was able to help them to save this, you know, 22% uh, uh, over cost that they were spending. So call to action uh, before we get to that Q&A. So one is make sure you are measuring it. The measurement is very, very critical track results, and then define those metrics and baseline, and then have that dashboard that, you know, as Ebede talked about, having that, you know, dashboard where you could see which they have built this cost transparency tool. Then start leveraging those optimizing lever, uh, levers that we talked about, different pillars. Bring that into an automation so that you can have that continuous improvement, right? And this is the call to action. You can just go and start really leveraging it, and you will see that, you know, you'll end up paying less. Uh, so with that, uh, we are open for any questions that you may have. And these are some of the resources that this presentation will be available, and this recorded session will also be available on YouTube. Uh, but these are some of the resources that you can leverage. Yeah.